Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. So, real quick, let me just uh, tell you out of chapter 5 what the imperatives are, all right? In, in verse 2, shepherd the flock. In verse 5, be subject to your elders. Also, clothe yourselves with humility. Verse 6, humble yourselves. Verse 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Verse 9, resist him. And then in verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. I thought maybe we ought to end up with that, huh? We're going to have to be careful with that one, but we're going to end up with kiss one another. All right, so let's start off here. Uh, The first thing here is shepherd the flock. And pretty much the New Testament uses the shepherd metaphor to refer to Jesus quite a little bit. You see it, uh, first off, you already see it in this book in chapter 2, but John has it uh, at least a couple times. Hebrews has it. Revelation has it. Matthew has it about three times. And then there's John. So over and over again, it's saying Jesus is our shepherd. Jesus is our good shepherd. And therefore, we shouldn't be surprised that when Jesus leaves, remember now, we're supposed to be holy as he is holy. So inasmuch as he is a shepherd, he's going to want us to be a shepherd too. So he says to Peter, remember to shepherd. And that's his parting words to Peter. And then Peter passes this on to the elders who are responsible for the church's well-being. I need for you to shepherd the flock. Now, we all have flocks. Well, the word elder here today, and by the way, in the Church of the Nazarene, elders, that terminology is kind of reserved for the preacher who is ordained in the Church of the Nazarene. But I'm going to suggest there's all kinds of leaders in this church, and this is what I'll also suggest. You are a leader. One way or another, Jesus has positioned you as a leader. It might be as a leader in your classroom, a leader in your family, a leader with... And somebody's going to say, well, I'm not a leader. I don't lead anything. Ah, uh, but Jesus says here, I want you to. I need for you to shepherd the flock that I've given to you. Now, we've had Hal Perkins come. And Hal has taught us five articulations of Jesus that ought to help us in, uh, in how we disciple one another. I've taken those and changed them up a little bit, reformed them. But nonetheless, I really like what Hal does. His fourth question is this. Do you love me? Okay, then, feed my sheep. Remember that? And Hal uses that to say, okay, we've just been over Scripture together. We've just been over this tremendous time in discipleship together. Now he's speaking to us. And he's saying, if you love me, you'll do something about this. And for whatever it's worth, don't think about it primarily happening in your life, but how it can happen through you into your flock's life. I like that. Hey, this isn't for you. This is for other people. Through you. I really like that. Because all of a sudden, it dawns on me, this message today, even today, even this message says, all right, you've heard this message You've heard Matt speak on it. Now, I need for you to take this and do what I'm asking you to do in your flock's life. You say, well, I don't know who my flock is. Well, I'm going to share that who I think that is. I think it's your spouse. I think it's your kids. I, I, think, it's, uh, uh, I think it's your enemies. Right? Jesus said, I want you to love your enemies. What if he means I want you to shepherd your enemies? Not yell at them. Not get aggravated with them. Not scream at them. I want you to love them. Shepherd them. Be for them what I need for you to be. To woo them to Jesus. And then he says, I think stuff like this. I think 
You know, you always go through, by the way, probably the most well-known person at Kroger's in our end of town is my wife. I mean, she goes, everybody knows her. If they've been there for over a year, they just know Mary. Uh, here she comes again. You know, she's greeting everybody, and everybody's greeting her. Everybody's on a first-name basis. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And uh, we actually went to Kroger's for long enough, and, the, you know, she'd bring the kids along with her. That's the way we did life. Come on, kids. You know, sometimes all six of them would be right, right in tow there. And almost family friends at Kroger, you know. Here they come again. And so this whole thing, of, well, guess what, Mary? Your flock is Kroger's. You think, well, is that what Jesus means here? I believe anybody you're regularly in touch with becomes your flock. You know, Cliff back there, Cliff has this great business uh, in the downtown area where he fixes cars, and he is, I tell you what, if you ever want to know who's who in Jackson, Mississippi, including in local and statewide government, you want to be friends with Cliff. Because Cliff actually shepherds and has shepherded like the governor, like the lieutenant governor, like uh, the publisher of the paper, like, I mean, he, he's a major influence on these guys because they love him, they respect him, they know they can get honesty out of him for their car, and they just butted up and across decades. You say, well, Cliff would say, who, is my, who are my sheep? Who's my flock? And I think he'd tell Cliff, those people. Those people. And guess what he does for them? He takes them out to eat at the only real restaurant in town. That's Bullies. Isn't that right? The only real where you can get chillings. I got them once. That's it. I mean, if you really love me, Mr. Cliff, you won't make me do that again. All right, I was going to tell you. But you can get old. But anyway, he said, that's my favorite restaurant. And guess what? He also ministers to Bully. Yeah, the guy that runs a restaurant. Knows him by first name. You know what they call him? Deacon. When he walks in. There's Deacon. Deacon's bringing his pastor again today. Hey, pastor, we're all, it's the coolest thing. That becomes how we minister. Those people all are our flock. And Jesus says, I want you to take your flock seriously on behalf of me. Now, real quick here. This whole feed my sheep thing's important. Uh, Dennis Kinlaw has a really great line here. He says, if you'll think about it, shepherds do their thing with sheep in order to eat them and wear them. Now think about it. The shepherd does what he does with his sheep so he can... I don't think that's what Scripture means, because I like Kinlaw's next line. Shepherds do their thing with sheep so that the shepherds can eat them and wear them. But the good shepherd takes care of his sheep so they can eat and wear him. You see, when we're up here doing the body and the blood of Christ, that's it. He wants us to eat and to wear him. That's how humble he is. That's how sacrificial he is. He says, and I want you to love your people with that kind of love. In fact, you ought to be willing to die for your sheep. I was willing to die for mine. You need to love your sheep and live for them in such a way you're willing to die for them. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's an easy thing for me to do with my spouse. I'd like to think in a dangerous situation, I wouldn't push my wife out there. I would, uh, I'd say, I'd push her back and I'd go face it. Now, I wonder about that sometimes. I... I uh, appreciate the guy says, okay, uh, I don't do guns, but I do a knife. And so uh, uh, there's a plan. My wife doesn't know about it yet, but there's a plan. And the plan is uh, I'm going to have my wife facing the door. So if a robber comes in, I'm pushing her out to go uh, get the guy, and I'm going to be practicing with my knife, getting ready to go, all right? I'm thinking, 
Really? No, it, was, it, was a, it was a comedy routine. I just thought it was funny. Anyway, he says, that's, a, that's, a, that's the plan. My wife doesn't know it yet, but that's the plan. I'm thinking, all right, well, I got the coolest thing on, across Facebook. It was a long thing. A dear friend of Mary's and mine uh, in Georgia, she says, let me tell you how cool my husband is. So it took me a while to pick up on it, but he always sleeps closest to the door because if something happens, he wants to face the danger first. Now, what if you took that whole posture with your whole life? And you didn't just take it for your spouse, but you took it also for your enemies. You just didn't do it for your enemies, you did it for the people of Kroger's. You didn't just do it for the people of Kroger's, you did it for your classroom. In other words, these are my flock. I'm willing to live and to die that they might know God's glory. That's what it means to shepherd the flock. Anybody here in on that? Anybody here want to shepherd your flock? Because I believe Jesus says, I'm not, I don't just want the people that are elders to do this. I think he wants all of us. Because guess, guess what? Anything the elders did, it was supposed to bleed on down. Anything that a priest did, Jesus was saying, I am developing a priesthood so that it can bleed down to the people, so that the people also be priests. Amen. And amen. So first thing he says here is, I want you to shepherd the flock. Second thing here. I put three of them together here. Be subject to your elders, be clothed with humility, and humble yourselves. Y'all, you're not going to get very far in this Christian life without humility. Amen. Humility is the prime virtue, according to so very many people. Because if you're not humble, you can't learn. If you're not learning, you are not going to be able to grow. If you're not growing, you have nothing to do with Jesus. It all starts with being humble enough to say, I am willing to subject myself. Now, uh, we already did this. Could you do it again? Go get your writing utensil being your finger right now. And just do that you thing again, all right? Down and then up. Down and then up, all right? And that is what Scripture teaches. Jesus emptied himself and came down. And the Father exalted him. You see it in Jesus' life? He came down from heaven, became nothing, emptied himself of all heavenly prerogatives, and then the Father elevated him in the resurrection. Isn't that powerful stuff? And he says, basically, you've got to trust me enough that I'm doing that with you. You've got to be subject. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to go ahead and say, yeah, I get, I get the fact that that's hard to do at many levels, but Jesus says, if I do this, I will be exalted. And so the first group here is simply this. Recognizing that all ancient cultures said, I want you to honor your elders. And by honoring... It means deferring to the wisdom of older people and allowing them to speak first. And I think we ought to do this. I think uh, there are a few youth here today, but I'd say one of the great things you could do with your life, and I, I wish I'd done a lot more of this. I actually have a son uh, that actually kind of became a little famous in this church for this sort of thing. Zeke used to just love to go up to people and ask them naive questions. He just liked to be around older people. He just liked to look up Mr. Henry's face and ask him something. You know, Mr. Henry, what's the meaning of life? I don't think he ever asked that, but I mean, just... And Mr. Henry looked down and said, well, interesting question, Zeke. And, and, and Zeke was all about just asking questions. He's a big question. Well, guess what? We, uh, we as children, apparently, I saw this in the study somewhere, we as children ask 126 questions a day. As adults, we ask seven. So somewhere we lose about 120 questions or so. 
we got to regain that. And the greatest way to regain it is to regain it with your elders. Is to say, I want to get, I want to get some sit-down time with somebody here in this congregation that's older than wiser. Now, it might be someone 10 years younger, but they're older in the Lord. You know what I mean by that. They're old and more mature. I want to sit down with them and just ask them naive questions and take notes as fast as I can. I really wish, I really wish I'd have done a whole lot more of this when I was younger. Just to sit down and say, hey, I'm buying you a cup of coffee today. That's the cheap way to do it. I prefer if you take me out and give me some dinner. But anyway, do whatever you can do and say, now, here you are. I just want to ask you 10 questions and just ask them. Naive questions. Questions you might even already have an inkling on. You might already think you know. But just to position yourself in front of somebody and say, teach me. What's a good marriage? Tell me how to be a good husband. Tell me how to be a good wife. Uh, Tell me, how do you excel in the workplace, particularly if you're the only Christian in the place? How do you excel in the workplace? Boy, to sit down and ask an elder this would be huge. I really encourage particularly younger people to do this and just have fun with it. Just say, this semester, I want to sit down with five of my elders in the church and ask them naive, simple questions and learn just as much as I possibly can. I don't think that's just for elders. I think that's for anybody. I think you already know. By the way, I wear a suit today, or a suit coat, uh, a jacket here, from uh, my mentor. Uh, he, uh, he's suffering from cancer right now. He may not be long for this world, so he's divesting himself of certain stuff. And so I, uh, he said, you like these suits? I said, I do like them. We'll take them. So I, I wear this today in honor of him. But uh, every Friday, I get on the phone with him. And he's older, he's wiser, uh, and I just ask him naive questions. And he says, what do you got today? And I'll start asking him questions. Sometimes we, we do, sometimes we don't, but the whole point is, I just want to absorb him as much as I can into my life. I think that's exactly what it means to subject yourself. Now, let's get back to humility. In the Greco-Roman culture, they all had all kinds of things that they appreciated, just like we appreciate. They had all kinds of things like... Uh, Courage and wisdom. Every culture loves courage and wisdom. But the Greco-Roman culture did not appreciate humility. So when this is said by Jesus, when this is said by Peter, this stands in striking contrast to the culture around them. Guys like Cicero, remember his name? Cicero says, no, no, rank must be preserved. They believed in rank. They said, if we're going to do this, we've got to make sure... Everybody knows where they're at in rank, and there's some people that are just better than you. And this humility thing says, no, I'm not better than anybody. I'm willing to go down. And that's why it says, hey, you all need to be humble towards one another. Elders, you need to be humble towards the youth. Stanley Jones talks about being at a Lausanne conference one time, and uh, he was watching all of this. And... uh, there was an older guy that was at the platform. He had a gavel. And there was a younger guy coming down the aisle. Boy, he wanted to speak. You could tell he's going to grab the microphone and let the whole conference have it. And uh, the older guy was gaveling down saying, you're out of order. You're out of order. And Stanley Jones says, that was a perfect moment for me because I learned something. And this is what I learned. It's important for the elderly to be in order. It's also important for the youth to be out of order. And it's important for those two things to go together. 
so that we can proceed, so that we can continue to grow. Elderly, it's okay for them to be a little out of order, a little out of control. That's going to help us. But youth, it's important that you subject yourself to the wisdom of your elders, and those two things go together, and when they go together, we can be better together. Now, I read a, a great little article by John Ortberg. He called six surprising ways Jesus changed the world. I'm not going to give you all six, obviously, just one. But the number one thing he said, or, or this about the number four thing he said, was humility. Rank must be preserved, said Cicero. Plutarch actually wrote a self-help book, How to Praise Yourself Inoffensively. <laughs> yeah, how to praise yourself, and they don't really know you're praising yourself. But Jesus came as a foot-washing servant, someone who emptied himself. And John Dixon said this. He's a historian. says, It is unlikely that any of us would aspire to this virtue of humility were it not for the historical impact of the crucifixion. After that moment, most cultures in the world began understanding that the cruciform, the cross, is exceedingly important if you're going to be a man, if you're going to be a woman, if you're going to be a whole person in just about any culture, everybody really recognizes how important humility is, but they didn't recognize that until the cross. Then it says this, be sober, be on the alert. That's, that's verse 8. Resist the devil is verse 9. So, by the way, we talked about sobriety quite a little bit in this book, and it's come up about three times. Be sober, be sober, be sober. I don't think that just means don't be drunk. I think it means if you have all your capacities about you, you need to be sure you are sober. What's that mean? Well, um, I don't know what my family thinks of my driving, but most people who see me drive would not say, best driver I know, Matt Friedman. I don't think I'm a particularly good driver, but I have taught all my kids how to drive. So this is what you do. And this is how you do it. One of the, I think probably the best advice I give my kids in teaching them how to drive is this. Particularly in Jackson, Mississippi, watch out. Just be defensive. I know the light says green, but and I know you think that means I have a right to go through this light. Well, that may be true, legally and everything else, but it ain't true as far as that guy coming this way that says, whoa, I see a yellow, and it's probably going to be red by the time I get there, but if I really step on it, you know, I mean, that's how we operate, right? So we get the fact that, yeah, we get it. We understand green means I can go, but kids... When you get a green light, look both ways before you proceed across the intersection. Why? Be sober, be on the alert. Why? Because there are some people that see yellow and think that means step on the accelerator. So we recognize we've got to watch out, drive defensively, look both ways, even with a green light. We've got to know that the devil is a roaring lion. He hates our guts. He wants to mess us up. I got a friend that's a relatively famous missionary, and his mother was, wrote a book called Mission Congo. And it was uh, for, for years, 
in United Methodist circles, and I had a United Methodist family, this, uh, this family was exceedingly well-known because of this book, Mission Congo. And uh, this guy, the son, named Paul, uh, actually discipled me. It was a really a, a great. He invited me into his home. I lived with him for a semester, got to know the family, and he, he, it, was a, it was a great experience. Uh, one of the stories he told, I remember we were around a fire one night and, uh, in Kentucky, and we're just kind of swapping stories, mostly me just listening to him because he had so many. <clears throat> he says, I remember one night there was a, uh, there was a, uh, a lion that was coming and getting some of our flock. I forget exactly what it was he was raising, but the lions were coming. And he says, it became obvious I got to go do something about this. So he grabbed his gun and went out into the jungle to go look for this lion. Now, can you imagine that? He said, it had to be done. He wasn't going to come out to me. I'm going to have to go to it. So he's out there starting to get dark. It's dark. And he says, I don't know exactly what's... And then all of a sudden here, you can't quite see what's going on about him. It is now night. And he says, I heard a sound that was the most bone-chilling sound I've ever heard. So what was it? It was this. That was a sound of, I'm about ready to gulp you whole. I said, what'd you do? He says, well, I don't know all that my bowels were doing. I don't know. All I know is I went stone cold quiet. And I didn't move. And I thought, Jesus, help me now. Because I don't know where it's coming from. All I know is it's close. And he knows where I am. So how long were you there? He says, I have no idea. It was a good long time before I felt like, I want to go home to mommy. Y'all, Satan, all day long, is saying, and you've got to be wide awake and alert for the inevitability that he hates your guts and he wants to gulp you entire. And he'll use any situation. This situation here is suffering. He says, I recognize. I recognize that you're suffering right now. I recognize it's hard. But don't let the devil use that against you. Let the Lord use the hard times. Let the Lord use the suffering. And that resistance thing, resist the devil means you recognize you are in the strongest position you can possibly be in because you were in the position Jesus was once in when he suffered. And Jesus says, remember the ready position? Always, always say this. I love this. Though. The ready position in an athletics coach is right here, right? That's what a shortstop's in, right? That's what a wrestler's in. That's what a linebacker's in. I mean, this is the ready position for just about any sport. This is what a, a hitter's in. I mean, this is the ready position. And basically what Paul or what Peter's saying here is, the ready position for the Christian to be inordinately blessed is, it's surprising to us, is suffering. You are never more in the ready position for Jesus doing the deepest thing he can possibly do in you as when you are suffering. Hiya. 
all over the weekend I was just looking for stuff to look at. That's a, not a good place to be. I'll just, but I ran across something on Russ Taft. Anybody remember Russ Taft, the singer? I see two hands. Three. Three Christians here. Thank you. <laughs> Russ Taft was an extraordinarily great. He sang for the, sang for the Imperials. He, uh, he, he, he was just, and then he went on, had his own solo career, many top songs, like six Grammy Awards, multiple Dove Awards, big time singer. And I, I really loved him, particularly when he was with Imperials. I kind of lost him after that. Really but he, he was a huge big timer. And then the wheels came off of his proverbial bus. He, uh, he started drinking. And so a lot of that, he's big time singer was he's drunk. And it showed one clip of his being drunk while he was on stage. And Chandra Pierce, I don't know if you remember her, Chandra Pierce is trying to talk to him, and he just like stumbling around. And he goes back, and he's with the rest of the big timers at Dallas Holm and all kinds of big timers, and he's just like stumbling around. Someone says, we got to get him off the stage. I mean, that's how bad it got in Russ Taft's life. And uh, everybody knew it. His wife knew it. And she basically said, I've had enough of him. The most precious part of that whole thing was he heard that there was a man who was dying that loved him. Russ Tapp as a singer. Would you go visit my dad in the hospital? So he says, yeah, I'll I'll go visit him. He goes in there, and you can just imagine an older guy that loves rough. And then all of a sudden, he walks in. It was a big-time moment for the older man. I mean, it was just huge. And so they talk back and forth, and the longer they talked, the more Russ Taft could sense. This is a man of God. This is somebody profound. And uh, what this man said at that point was this. He said, you are here, but one of the things I've always wanted to do is to live well so that my boys could know how to live. But now I'm dying. So I'm asking Jesus, help me to die well so my boys might know how to die. Whoa, that's a prayer. Help me to die well to let my children know how to, they can die well. And so Rustaf has heard all this. He's very impressed. It's time to go. And Rustaf doesn't know quite how to go. So he finally says this. Will you pray for me? The man says, yeah, it's hard for him. He gets up on his feet, and Rustaf goes down on his knees before the man. And the man, who is suffering and dying, puts his hands on Rustaf's head and starts praying a beautiful prayer. And Russ Taff goes down and weeps. He is, you heard ugly crying before? He was ugly crying. He was snot crying. He would just weep in his eyes out because this godly man, this suffering man, had his hands on his head and was praying. And in that, I thought, oh my goodness, Jesus. Is that a possibility for us? That in our suffering, We could bless people. We could pray for people. We could act on behalf of people that they might be blessed because of our suffering. I believe that's what this whole book is about. Listen, we're going to be suffering. We're going to be dying. We're going to be bleeding. Don't run from it. Don't let the devil get the best of you. This is blessing time in the kingdom. When we're suffering, we are in the ready Position to have a greater impact than we've ever had. And that's what the book of 1 Peter, and that's what this verse is about. 
I want you to take seriously resisting the devil because he's going to try to teach you in your suffering something's going wrong. No, in the suffering, you can teach the whole world how to suffer well and bless them even in your pain. This last thing is this. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Literally, that's the last imperative of 1 Peter. I want to be careful with this, but hey, come on. It says it. Kissing the cheek, the forehead, the beard, or the hands. Not usually the lips. But that was frequently used to greet one another. It wasn't just this culture. It was other cultures. But basically, what Peter seems to be saying is, can you just love on each other? Appreciate one another? Can you just... Now, from culture to culture, this differs. You know, I don't, I don't go up and kiss everybody. But... uh. whatever it is that's appropriate in your culture, whatever it is that's modest, but that's good, do that thing that's modest and good to show that you love other people. Important book that was written. Very simple book. Maybe it was too simple. But three guys, Arne, Nyquist, and Arne, did a study on love. And this is what they found out. Loving churches grow because people find it so attractive, they can't help but want to be a part of it. Loving churches grow. And I believe the last thing that's said in First Peter, as far as that imperative is concerned, is this. The way we will defeat the hate, the way we will defeat the anguish, the way that we will defeat the jack boot of the Romans that's on our neck right now is going to be with love. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And I don't know about you all, I want to be part of a church that knows how to love. I don't want to be part of a church that knows how to love a culture. We had all our numbers up there. Knows how to love prisoners. Knows how to love homosexuals. Knows how to love people that... uh, or fatherless out there, knows how to love people that are struggling, knows how to love even our enemies. Wouldn't it be great to be part of a church that knows how to love, but, but this, that knows how to love one another. Remember that old song? And they'll know we are Christians by our love. The First Peter Movement swept across the Roman Empire for the next 200 years. And guess what? Eventually, even the emperor... Now remember, there's going to come quickly an emperor that's going to burn him up in his gardens. He's going to set him up so he can light up his gardens with burning Christians. But eventually, there's going to come an emperor that finally bows down and says, you win. Y'all, we win if we're crazy enough to do that. Submit. Humble, shepherd, love. That's how we fight back. Could you please stand? Lord Jesus, make us that kind of Christian. Because Lord, while we might not be suffering in so much as this is concerned, we suffer in other ways. And Lord, if we don't suffer today, we're going to suffer. And in our suffering, We want to be in the ready position to be blessed of Almighty God. Jesus, we're ready 
for the ready position. Bless us so that we can be a blessing, a blessing of love. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray today. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you, Dayspring. Thank you.